They say Ulfric Stormcloak murdered the High King with his podcast, Shouted Him Apart. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week we celebrate the 10th anniversary of The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, a medieval fantasy game set in a massive world full of secrets and hilarious ways to break everything. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. 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 To it's us again. It sure hello, my friends. Every week. It's still, it's still the same Every us. week, I know. And yet every week it's better. The show just keeps getting better. And every week is the best it's ever been. I think that's true. <laughs> Sorry about last week. It was garbage compared to this week. This week's just going to be so much better. That's what they do every single year when a new Madden game comes out. That's what they say. Sorry about last oh year's terrible Sorry. version. It's garbage, but this one Yeah, we just keep patching it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We are better than Madden. Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Sure. Uh, that's just my mm. opinion. That's not factual. Anyway. Madden Myers over here. Another thing that's factual <laughs> is that if you just can't get enough of us and how good we are every single week, um, you could get you could get extra us, even extra more. triple click, even more for for a small fee. You could get even more triple click. <laughs> uh, you could become a member of our very fine podcast network, Maximum Fun, by going to max maximumfun.org/slash join. Did I remember that right? I just suddenly panicked that, that I was, was wrong. The, okay, how many times have we said this URL and yet? MaximumFun.org slash join, mm-hmm. and you could become a member and get a bonus episode every single month. This past month, we talked about Outer Wilds and we the did. Echoes Super of the Eye DLC, which is incredible and frustrating and definitely something you should play before we spill the beans about it for That's you true. on our bonus. But there are app. lots of other beans casts for things that you probably have played. There are so watched. many other beans casts, so many others that we have done. And so yeah, people should people should become members. But mm-hmm. we are going to talk about a video game today that is 10 years old. We Happy sure birthday. Are. Happy birthday to Skyrim. So yeah, we're going to talk about Skyrim because uh Skyrim turns 10 as Maddie noted. Um <laughs> I wrote a little intro for us. I'm going to read it now. Here we go. The marketing materials would tell you that Skyrim is a game about living an alternate life in a fantasy world, saving villages and fighting dragons like a hero of old. But everyone who's played it knows it's actually a game about crouching behind a shopkeeper and robbing them blind while they just stand there. (laughs) (laughs) Bethesda Game Studios' seminal first-person role-playing game came out 10 years ago today on 11.11.11. The decade since then, it has received three downloadable expansions, 16 million user-created mods. That's an approximate number. Oh, it's not exact? Precisely 16 million? Okay. Precisely 16 million. All zeros at the end there. One far in the future announced sequel, and thanks in part to a spruced up 2016 special edition, it has been re-released on every game console under the sun, including virtual reality. Now it is 11-11-21, and all these years later, Skyrim's legacy looms over the world of video games, like High Hrothgar on the Throat of the World. We've all played it a lot over the years. We have just been replaying some of it, and now we're going to talk about it. Skyrim. 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 Oh man, it's funny you say uh, sequel like in at some point in the future because there's just an interview this week with Todd Howard where he essentially was like, "Oh yeah, you can expect that in five years at least from now." Elder Scrolls Six. <laughs> I mean, that's wow. some point uh, in the future. Cool. <laughs> maybe in time for the 15th anniversary of Skyrim, we will mm-hmm. get a sequel. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe. So yeah, this game, um, we've all been playing it this week in preparation for this episode, though does anyone really need to play any more Skyrim? Actually, no, maybe the answer to that is yes, because I yeah, had a good time playing of. it. Kind and, and of, noticing, honestly, I Yeah, noticing it. new things about it. Yeah, there's always um, something I think new. Bef- before we get into our impressions of the game, having just recently been playing it, I'm just sort of curious about the two of your histories with this series. So Jason, maybe start by just filling listeners in on your history with Skyrim. Yeah, well, so I played some Oblivion on the 360 back in the day when it came out, but I didn't really get into the series until Skyrim. And so I actually, I played it at a preview event. I was working for Wired.com and I went to a Bethesda preview event back when Bethesda would invite me to preview events um, for Skyrim. Well, you were wired, so it was fine. And also you had Well, it was, you know. <laughs> but even, yeah, even at Kotaku, they were fine until, until the incident. Until a certain but, incident. Uh, <laughs> until the noodle incident, yeah. <laughs> the noodle incident, yeah. Um, 
So it was October of 2011, and they were like, hey, come into our office, like the 47 PR office in, in Manhattan, and play three hours of Skyrim. And that was the first time that I had had a video game preview where it was just like, you can play three hours straight of like basically a final build of the game. And it was crazy. You could just wander in any direction. And like I looked around me, and it was a different rows of desks, and people were playing the preview build, and they could just, they were just doing all sorts of different things. Like we were all doing pretty much different things. I wound up following the intro quest um, because that's what it kind of wanted you to do Um, and I knew I would get my ass kicked if I wandered around too much but I remember my mind was just blown I was just like wow this is unlike anything I've played before in terms of like how it just scratches that itch of exploration and makes you want to just wander and and go and find things and see things and whack things with a sword in fact you wrote that you were pumped to spend hundreds more hours immersed in Skyrim's ridiculously detailed world I, the first I thing I'm going and to I do did. is collect better loot, max out my skills, and, and slay that freaking dragon. I can't wait. Yeah, because I remember in that three-hour preview session, now you're refreshing my memory here. I remember <laughs> I kept dying against that first dragon. Yeah, at yeah. the end, you're like, the dragon killed me, and it, it, it ends actually very humorously and unsatisfying. Yes. Uh, yes. Unsatisfying. Um, because uh, because of the nature of the preview, I couldn't like take my time and explore or whatever. So mm-hmm. I, I went, I I kind of bum rushed through the whole right. thing. Right, and you still haven't killed the dragon to this day, right? You're still I have stuck not, on no, that never one. Never killed a dragon. It's still really, stuck on really that dragon. Really tough. Just that first hundreds dragon. of hours later. <laughs> Um, and then I wound up getting a review copy and reviewing the game, which I remember was just uh, nothing but sitting in front of a TV for like many, many hours. Like yeah, we've all done it. Just mm-hmm. playing Skyrim um, and loved it to death. Um, certainly, I didn't realize, I, I didn't know at the time until later. Like I didn't, I don't think anyone really knew how much of a cultural phenomenon it would become and that it would just, it would just like enter the cultural consciousness the way it had, but we can get to that. Um, But I remember just raving about it in my review and just being like, this is one of the best games I've ever played. Like this is just like unparalleled because it was and still kind of is 10 years later, but we'll get to that. What about you guys? Yeah. What about you, Mandy? So I was absolutely not the kind of person who played Skyrim in 2011, I didn't mm-hmm. play any previous Skyrims. <laughs> any previous of the Skyrim? Of the any Skyrim previ- see, any previous Elder Scrollses is what I should. Any previous Elders Scrolls? Yeah, Elders I Scrolls. See, that's that's pathetic. But yeah, for real, I didn't play any of the other ones, and I I didn't play this kind of game at all. I was strictly like competitive shooters, fighting games. Like this was it for me. And I worked at the Boston Phoenix, and I would end up in situations fairly often where. Nobody was reviewing a really big game. And I was like, we got to have somebody review this. Like, this one really matters. And I'll do it if no one else is going to write this. And I think this was one of those situations um, because I can't think why else I would have done it. And I wrote a review, which I guess we can link, where I'm basically like, this is not my shit. However, it's incredible. And here are the things about it that are incredible if it is your shit, which is, you know, it's all you can really do as a reviewer is be like, this is what's excellent about it. And I remember being astounded by the dragons and just the fact that you could go anywhere. I remember climbing mountains by myself and just being like, wow, this looks great. And it feels incredible to go anywhere and do anything. But I also just, it's so repetitive and it, it, this kind of grindy RPG, I don't know. It's still not really my thing, but I, I've been enjoying the heck out of replaying it, but we can, we can talk about that in a minute, like our, (laughs) our nostalgic version of it. But in 2011, Mm -hmm. I was, I was more like, this isn't my thing, but I respect it. And then as it's become such a cultural phenomenon, I wouldn't say I reevaluated my take. I agree. I like agreed with my past review when I read it today, but I also didn't expect it to be as big of a deal as it has been in the years since then. But your gaming taste, haven't your gaming taste evolved? Well, since yeah, that's true too. Like I think, I think I'm too. more, I'm more patient with weird RPG mechanics, but there are so many things about Skyrim that are just weird and are still weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> and like the way everyone talks and everyone's faces. I mean, it's the things that are janky about it then are still kind of janky now. Unless you install 600 mods, then it's perfect and it's the greatest game Mm -hmm. ever made and it's fixed (laughs) and everything about it is great. What about you, Kirk? When was the first time you played it? I played it... Presumably upon release. 
Upon release at Kotaku, I was a member of the staff. That was my first year at Kotaku, and I did not review it. And I was actually, I remember thinking, wow, I'm glad I didn't review this because this is really long. (laughs) And I can just kind of play it. (laughs) I played a fair amount of it on Xbox 360, and I remember switching to PC. And that was one of the first times I really noticed 60 frames per second. And I was like, oh, this this is a lot better on PC. (laughs) Like, it wasn't like, I, I guess I knew that. There were the frame rates were a thing, but I just hadn't really thought about it before, um, or at least that's my memory of that. So I played a lot of it. I think I have like 197 hours on Steam in the original version, and then I've played subsequent versions as well. I played it, you know, I always kind of play a little bit when it comes. I played some on Switch. I played some in VR, which maybe I'll talk about later, and it's pretty crazy. It's actually yeah, really cool. Yeah, you should. I'm curious um, about how that goes. It's funny. It's just the whole game in VR. Um, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I had played, so I had played Arena, the Elder Scrolls Arena, in like uh, 1998 or something. That was the first game in this world that came out that was this open world game, and it was this huge world where you would walk around. And I mean, it was like ludicrously big and very low fidelity, but really, really big. And that was the thing it had going for it. And ever since then, I kind of kept my eye on the series. I I think I was like in the mall at Electronics Boutique or whatever and just found the arena box and was looking at it. And it's like, you know, thousands of dungeons, like, you know, this huge world. And I I remember playing it and being like, well, is it really like that? And then, you know, it's actually pretty repetitive because (laughs) that's the only way they could make a game that big in that, you know, that long ago. Wasn't it also procedurally generated, a lot of the dungeons? I don't know if arena was. I know that Daggerfall was very procedurally generated. I mean, I think... That yes, like I think that at some point yeah, there's procedural generation. Were. I don't think like the world wasn't being procedurally generated for you as you played, but I think that maybe in Daggerfall that was the case, and I didn't play that one. So then, anyways, I moving on. I definitely played Morrowind like in the early 2000s. That's a very cool game. That was kind of the Elder Scrolls game for me. That was like the first moments of like wow, this open like emergent world just running this simulation can still be something that reacts to me, and it was very exciting. I played Oblivion when I got back into gaming in 2007. So I've kind of been there for this series throughout. And then, uh, yeah, played the heck out of Skyrim when it came out. It took a little while for me to for to click with me because the setting, like, wasn't my favorite. The whole kind of Norse thing. I don't know. Like, I just wasn't that jazzed on that. I think I, I just really liked Morrowind and I was always, I'll always kind of associate this series with that setting. But yeah, I mean, I've I've played a lot of it over the years and um, really like it and also just find it totally befuddling in some ways, especially going back to it now. Like it's really from an interface point of view or a usability point of view, just really um, remarkable (laughs) how bad some of it is. And also the modding scene is pretty cool. I've definitely gotten into modding this game. I remodded my game. I downloaded Vortex. So now like... The Nexus mod manager is called Vortex. Everything has changed. I'm like the old guy coming back to my hometown and everything has a different name. So I had to like reinstall Sky UI and all those mods, the static mesh hmm. improvement mod. And I, <laughs> and I I did it. I made it all the work. The Thomas the Tank Engine mod. You replaced <laughs> it with dragons. Yeah, I never did the crazy ones, just the like quality of life ones. But it's uh it's still Skyrim. So wait a minute. When you say the UI, you're just befuddled by how bad it is. What specifically are you talking about? Well, if you've ever installed, have, have either of you ever used Sky UI? This is an incredible, indispensable PC mod for this game that overhauls the whole in- inventory no, system. No, I haven't done any, any ceremony. Well, the inventory system is just totally crazy. Like the the hotkeying system, the fact that you have two hotkeys available throughout the game, the fact that there's a shortcuts menu, but it's like very hard to navigate. The whole way that you select things and interact with things, that it's all kind of tied to the triggers. This really feels like... I mean, it is. It feels like an RPG from the era of RPGs where they're like, okay, I guess consoles are all there is now. So we're not going to make anything with PC in mind. We're not going to worry about complex systems. And no one had quite cracked the radial like complexity of menus that have now just become the norm. If you play a role-playing game now on a, on a console, you have access to all this cool stuff. You can get to all, like play a Far Cry game. You can access all these different weapons and you can change the, right, the ammo radials, that's yeah. in them. The radials make this so easy. Like, Designers have really figured this out, this stuff out. UX designers. Skyrim, you just have a list of. It's favorites. crazy. Yeah. It's like a list with, <laughs> n- and you, like there's the like no way of organizing it. It looks so bad. It's like so hard yeah. to scan it quickly. And mm-hmm. given how much micromanagement and like crazy crafting and 
dealing with just like over encumbered states and like dropping stuff and picking stuff back up. I mean, it's it's wild that I spent so many hours playing this game, given that I had to navigate these menus. So I think part of the whole point of Skyrim and one of the reasons that it's lasted as long as it has and have so much appeal is because is that like there's so much clunky about it that you just have trained yourself to look past because um, of what kind of game it is, right? Because no other game is providing the world that it provides and the density that it provides and the richness that it provides. And you're kind of like, you kind of accept like the bugs and the the clunky AI and the weird user interface stuff because you're just like, wow, no other game is this ambitious right. and trying to do all these things. So it's kind of like, all right, I'll just, I'll just deal with it. Um, and then I guess some people don't accept it and they just mod it all to make it better. But um, I guess the point that I'm making is that I am generally so blown away by so many other things about Skyrim that I don't really care as much about the fact that like combat is just mashing the trigger <laughs> over and over again. Of course. Or that yeah. like or that like half the dungeons are just the same zombie enemies, like Draugr enemies over and over again. Mm-hmm. Or all the fetch quests or like three soldiers ha- are coming with you everywhere you go. Or you mm-hmm. have to kill three soldiers or you have to talk to a guy who will be like, can you <laughs> get me a rock? And you're like, all right. Like that's, that's Skyrim for you. Uh, sure. But that's, but no, the fetch quests I think are part of the appeal because yeah. part of the, the thing that I enjoy as opposed to the negative thing that you look past, the thing that I enjoy is getting sent out on an errand or just deciding hey I'm going to walk to this city and then on the way there are just five other things you find that are just totally fascinating like you find a, a town where someone is comes up to you and has something interesting to say or you like you find a lover's quarrel or you find some bizarre quest where you're like getting drunk and suddenly you wake up and you're on this like god mission um, all sorts of just crazy stuff in this game and there's no way to see all of it it's I'm like it's it's the type of thing where you're just constantly discovering new stuff and that to me is just like so unparalleled in games except for maybe there are a couple others that have done it just as well maybe Breath of the Wild you could say does it just as well but like for me when I'm looking for that experience in a game there's just been nothing else like it yeah I agree with you because I I do feel like the appeal is it's so big that you feel as though there could always be a secret hidden in it. And that was how people would talk about it It would be like, Oh, I discovered this weird quest. And like this guy asked me to do something and this is how it played out. And you're like, wow, I've never even been there. I've never even heard of that person. And like that could just go on and on. And like one of my friends found a quest or or somehow ended up in this underground room that was just full of shoes, like as though people mm-hmm. had all left their shoes behind. And he wrote this really haunting story for the Phoenix about just this these shoes that he found and how the game never explained how they got there or what happened to the people who were wearing them or why. And it was just that promise of like anywhere you go, there's going to be a story or like you find a corpse and you look at what their belongings were and you discover some mystery about them by looking into them. Like that part of it makes it feel like a real world. And that I don't feel like something is tightly put together as a Breath of the Wild or like an Assassin's Creed in the modern era. Like all of that feels very designed and that's a compliment, but the jankiness of Skyrim makes you feel like there's more hidden in it or like oh somebody Mm -hmm. snuck this weird thing into a corner of this messy room that is skyrim right yeah i think that there is so yeah to to double back to the user interface for a second i think that's something that this game does really amazingly is navigation because there's a compass and this is something that bethesda game studios have been doing for a long time that then caught on and more games were doing it without having a mini-map in the corner and instead just showing you which direction you're pointing and then showing objects of interest. And the world is designed so well to make you always be able to see something interesting somewhere. You know, you can kind of look and be like, well, that kind of looks like something up there. Oh, there's like some fire over uh-huh. there. There's a cave right there. And you, the game trains you very early on to just think, well... I'll just go over there and see what it is. And that experience of like finding a little thing like you described, Maddie, you never know what it's going to be, but it's probably going to be delightful. And the flip side of that for me is there is this like sense of mystery to the world because it's all so simulated, right? Everything, every object has its own physics. Everything is running on a little simulation engine, which is unusual. I mean, at the time and now, like a lot of games, like it's the, a big difference between this and The Witcher 3, which is a lot of people said was kind of the next Skyrim. It's so different because The Witcher 3 doesn't have that like 
physics-based simulation that's running, and it doesn't make it feel as real of a world. It feels a little bit more artificial, The Witcher 3, that is, where in Skyrim, because it's all being simulated and running, anytime the game notices me and something happens because of me, or even like that magic moment when a courier runs up and your attention goes over to them and they're like, hey, I'm looking for this person, and like they kind of do a quest thump on you, it feels like you've kind of been pointed at from on high, which is a really cool feeling. In this game, they literally do that at the beginning. Like, there's the part where they yell from the mountain and the whole world shakes, Mm -hmm, and it's because of mm -hmm. something you did. And I think that's a really special feeling that this game regularly conjures that not many other games do. Yeah. So wait, which which classes did you guys pick? We we skipped over that, and I want to know what you guys play Dying as. to know. Also, Jason, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so in the uh, like on on my previous, I've, I think I've only really played through it once. The first time I played it, and I was mostly like sword and shield kind of traditional warrior type dude. And now I'm playing as a woman dark elf mage, which is, has been super fun because casting magic in this game is incredibly fun, especially once you get gear. If you get gear that like lowers the amount of mana that you spend to cast spells, you can just rip through <laughs> enemies. It's Man. really fun. I should yeah. do that. I feel like I should do that yeah. too. <laughs> it's fun. It's been fun. I never have been a magic user. Me either. So you can equip yeah. two spells at once. You yeah, can either yeah. do like sword and spell and, and do kind of a sword, spell sword type build, mm-hmm. or you can cast two spells at once and fire them both at once and just rip enemies apart. It's so fun. Um, I'm using like fireball in one hand and like lightning in the other and just like combining them to just <laughs> the two food enemies. groups of it's magic. Pretty good. Fire and lightning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. awesome. I have always played as like sort of a tank character or like a a big heavy axe character you know like I described this in Dark Souls how I'm a two-handing an axe everywhere I go so I'm playing as a female orc the first time I played I don't think I played as an orc I I probably just picked a nord I I weirdly don't remember although I'm sure I played as a female character because I always did that then and I still do now when I can um and I think I just, I think I was just a human, which is weird. Like, why wasn't I willing to like be a cat or something? Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I wasn't even willing to go along with the promise Skyrim was giving me in 2011. <laughs> but this time I'm an orc and that's fun. Um, I That's so funny that you play a warrior and Jason, you're playing a mage because I always play as a thief. I always play as a sneaking character. So between the three of us, we have mm. like the three fantasy archetypes. We got down. a good, a good D&D. Group. I feel like we, didn't we like do this in Destiny? Didn't we already have this conversation when we played Destiny 2? I think maybe we, like, we did. But each... Destiny doesn't really have yeah. like, classes. Oh, like... but no, you were a Titan and Jason, you are a Warlock and I was a Hunter. That's yeah, true. We were, yeah, I mean, which yeah, is the yeah, closest yeah. thing. We literally did the same thing again. It's fine. <laughs> so a nice thing about Skyrim that was actually, I, I don't remember the particulars of Morrowind or Oblivion, its predecessors, but it was a little different is that you can make kind of cross-class builds a lot more easily because you can just sort of level up whatever you want according Mm -hmm. to the bizarre but also kind of compelling like astral chart leveling system which Which is bananas but understand i didn't then and i don't now (laughs) no it's not great but it also for some reason is iconic so i always level up stealth and bows and also but then also just like melee so i just become this sort of all-purpose killing machine that, man, I mean, my whatever 100x hours game character is just ridiculous. Like, I got into crafting, because there's all these ways to break leveling in this game, because you level up by doing the thing that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you can, like, craft... I remember crafting, like, hundreds of crappy iron daggers, because if you do that, your crafting ability just keeps leveling up, and you can just buy the ability to craft, like, ridiculous gear. So I had this, like, Daedric armor where I was, like, impervious to anything, and I had a sword (laughs) that, like, absorbed health from my enemies, so I was, like, healing in combat while doing damage. And then I had also a bow and the stealth ability that gave me, like, whatever, 6x damage on... Killing, so it was just like that's always been the character that I play, and every time I start a new character, which has been many times on all these different platforms, I'm like, maybe I'll play magic this time. And I start out with like a fireball, and I'm like, nah, man, <laughs> I gotta sneak with my bow. You guys want to hear? You guys want to hear something fun? A fun, fun fact? Always. Um, Skyrim's leveling system is actually inspired by or taken from Final Fantasy 2 hmm. on the NES, the the kind of black sheep of the Final Fantasy games, because that game was the first game ever, um, as far as I know, where like you would build up your hit points by getting hit. You would build up your strength by huh. hitting monsters. You would build up like that's how the leveling system worked, exactly like Skyrim's. Which I yeah. think is, is a good thing that that has been left aside by games. Like I don't think that that's yes. actually a very good way to level up, even though no, it, is in, not. it makes it's a sort of logical, logical sense. 
in in some sense like it's like i'm not gonna get more health by being shot but i am gonna get better at shooting by like practicing with a gun right or whatever like it's some of it makes sense but there are times it's just so easy to break like how you can just Mm -hmm. crouch and sneak next to someone sleeping Mm -hmm. and then just go make lunch and like you'll get points and stuff (laughs) like it's uh, a there's so many ways to break it which i think is actually another thing if we're trying to get at the sort of long-lasting appeal of Skyrim that is probably one other thing that's appealing about this game right is that it's so easy to break it's so like there are so many cool weird sort of cul-de-sacs and avenues you can go down with this game Mm -hmm. um, just because it's so open-ended yeah well okay so that that brings to a point that I wanted to bring up and I'm curious to hear both of your takes on this but the thing I remember most about Skyrim is that um when I started Kotaku like two months after it came out and I remember Skyrim was one of the biggest sources of traffic for Kotaku for like all of 2012. There was a running joke. It was like, just put Skyrim in the headline. Just put Skyrim in the headline and you'll get a ton of traffic. Um, and I think uh, that's one of the reasons. One of the reasons that it kind of permeated the cultural consciousness was sort of it was sort of like Minecraft had just done a couple of years earlier, where it was just a very shareable game. It was like social media was like starting to take off. People were just sharing constantly, sharing like video clips of their bugs in Skyrim and YouTube videos of like the quests they found. And because it was so massive, in addition to just like wanting to watch videos because of the the bugs because they're hilarious, you also wanted. To to go and like look for secrets and like mm-hmm. l- watch videos of like people finding things you hadn't found yet or people telling you where to find like all the unidentified gems those what, whatever that name is for the crown thing I forgot what what it's called exactly but like other other secret things and like collectible things that you could find throughout the world and so that felt like it was really one of the first games that truly went viral and I think that's how like m- many millions of people picked it up like it started with a really strong base and then just grew more and more popular as more people started talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I also feel like the palette for modding, I mean, we really can't Mm, overestimate the extent to which that was a huge part of it Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. socially acceptable modding had become. Like, I I mean, I guess the Half-Life Counter-Strike era had already introduced that. It's not like people didn't already have entire games that were made out out of a mod of an existing game that was already a thing but the Skyrim era was like that but for people who liked medieval fantasy and also joking around within the world of medieval fantasy and that potential for humor and goofiness and anachronisms and all of that just it's like made for viral online content and sharing stuff Mm -hmm. in a way Mm -hmm. that really worked for the early 2010s and mm-hmm. led to the period of time that we're in now where people still tell jokes about Skyrim. Yeah. It's a funny game, even aside from the oh, glitches. Yeah. It's a funny game, like intentionally funny in addition to being unintentionally funny. So I think that that's, I think that those are, those two things are very true. Um, modding certainly. And I think it's cool that you both have played Half-Life now because there is this, there's a similarity between those two games and it makes sense that you mentioned it, Maddie, because they're both very simulation-based games. They both have mm-hmm. these physics systems that are just running on their own and then the game is taking place within them. And that leads to sort of smallness and jankiness in some ways, but it also opens things up to modification in a way that other games maybe don't. And this game really was was open to mods. But also, I mean, I think that this... Even beyond social media and memeableness, like Game of Thrones premiered in 2011. Like it premiered just Mm. months before this game came out. And I think that that is a big part of it. Like I think there were just a lot of Mm. normal Xbox 360 owning people who like watched an ad on TV and the ad shows you in first person fighting a dragon. And they were like, Mm -hmm. well, I want to play that game. Like that looks like what video games were always supposed to be when I was a kid. And they just bought it and like played it on Xbox and like you know, were the reason that it sold however many bajillion copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Very Game of Thronesy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I remember a lot of people I knew where I had nothing in common with them otherwise, but Skyrim was the game they were playing. Yep. Like so many conversations that I had with just normies in my day to day or like people I just could be, never find a conversation topic with. And, and oh, you're playing Skyrim? Okay, great. We can talk about becoming a werewolf for an hour and like, it's going to be fine. Like this is the thing we can bond over. And and. Uh-huh. Also, it wasn't even a fun party activity, but the number of times that I watched somebody play the first three hours of Skyrim, like in replaying it, I was like, I'm so familiar with this. It's crazy. Like, yes, I played more of the game, but I feel as though the first three hours of Skyrim are just burned into my brain for all time 
because I saw people be like, oh, let's try a new character. Like you just get up to the dragon <laughs> and you're like, all right, whatever. Like, let's let's go try being a cat this time or something. And like, I'm gonna uh-huh. try being magic. Mm-hmm. And like, you just see the same exact things and you you start repeating the lines along with everybody. And it's just, I mean, it's not it's not good or bad. It's just like a neutral experience, like summer camp or something that everybody was going through at the same time in that era. <laughs> Can I share my take on the beginning? Please. The guy who gets executed is just got the worst luck. If that guy had just right? like, remember how he, so what he does, I think I wrote a Kotaku article about this, is he's like getting all shirty with the guards and he's like, yep. oh, whatever, just get it over with and kill me. And he like runs forward and then they're like, <laughs> yeah. okay, and they kill him. And it's like, if you just hadn't done that, if you just gone with the normal timing of things, the dragon would have shown up. Um, mm-hmm. I guess maybe it wouldn't have because you're the dragonborn. Um, I I do think that the the mainstream success of this game is remarkable because it's so I mean it's I guess Lord of the Rings Game of Thrones like this was yep, a period Lord of time of in which yeah. like pretty nerdy shit was becoming mainstream in a way that you know it hadn't been maybe ten years before that. Well, so okay, so well, sorry, finish your thought, and then I have a thought on that. Oh, I just think it's interesting that this game allows for like being a huge nerd because of the like the depth of the lore, how really kind of thought out all of the stuff with just like the other nations and the politics, and it's like pretty lore nerdy stuff. But you can just play this game and run around and like hit dragons with an axe and not really worry too much about that stuff and just treat it as a kind of goofy sideshow. So it kind of has it both ways. Like it appeals to many kinds of players as a result. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, so I actually think that what Skyrim does that's pretty brilliant is that it makes it possible to play through the entire game without understanding any of the lore, caring yeah. about any of the lore, or yeah. it's like the crunchiness of it is very optional, which is right. uh, which is like similar to what has made other things appealing. I mean, you can watch Lord of the Rings without caring that much about the lore. You can watch Game of Thrones. I mean, you'd kind of have to like really keep tra- track of yeah. all the characters. But, a little less with Game of Thrones. Yeah, and but you don't really have to know like the time. Targaryen dynasty no, to, right. to appreciate or Game of Game of Thrones, but with Skyrim especially, I mean, you look at its predecessors like Baldur's Gate, for example, and a lot of those games, a lot of the PC RPGs of like the 2000s and the 1990s are reading massive walls of text all the time. Like that's what you have to do, and that's what you enjoy about it, presumably. Um, as opposed to Skyrim, where like skipping text is really easy, um, you don't really have to have a lot of conversations. Every conversation takes place in one sentence dialogue line. So mm-hmm. it's very, very like, like brevity is, is very much there and it's very brisk and quick and the pacing is good in general. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's just not the type of thing like, like you can enjoy it just as much if you're going around reading every single book you find on every bookshelf or if you just like want to go and steal horses and Which kill you civilians. can do. <laughs> A notable yes. thing about this game is. You I had all these books in my inventory when I started my game. Is I was like, oh yeah, there's just all these books. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty crunchy. Man, the lusty it's, Argonian it's so, made. such a dense game. Yeah. But it's it's a dense game, but it's also a game where you can like go around right. robbing people and sticking buckets on their heads and stuff. It's, yeah, but it's, you can it's got also everything. build a house and do the whole Sims player thing, and that is That's a whole right. other aspect of playing the game that was which also was DLC. Huge. We should know that was yeah, added it was as an expansion. expansion. Yeah, it was a DLC. Well, yes, but I just remember that being such a massive part of the game's Mm -hmm. appeal as well to like a diverse subsection of players where it's Mm -hmm. like oh you don't really give a shit about fighting dragons and like sword and sorcery fantasy stuff doesn't matter you can just date people in this game and have them move (laughs) into your house and have little soap opera dramas with them or like adopt kids and like get them outfits and like the goofiness of the simulation of Skyrim is also just hilarious in the way that The Sims is hilarious. And that yeah. also appealed to tons and tons of people. I mean, just the fact that this game truly had everything, it like became such a four quadrant game in that way because it was like mm-hmm. literally any kind of video game you might like. There's some version of that in Skyrim that you can enjoy. Yeah, even if you don't, even if you don't love the snow, you can go to like the the, the city with all the waterfalls in it. Yeah, um, or you could go to if you are into the snow, you could go camp out and be become a member of the Mage College, or you could go to like friggin' Minas Tirith Solitude and like live on there. 
right, it's got right. such a variety despite the fact that it's in the kind of bleak Norse area that Kirk you might not be a huge fan of it does have a lot of variety well and I think that was something that I found as I played the game more was like oh okay mm-hmm. like there's actually this is just another Elder Scrolls game like it's it's got this Norse backdrop and that's maybe the least interesting thing about it is like the political machinations of the Stormcloaks the versus War. the Empire and it's kind of <laughs> yeah. like whatever who cares and even the dragon storyline is sort of not that interesting it's okay but like the dragons mm-hmm. aren't actually as cool of course as they were promised to be in the trailer oh can I ask you guys I think you both played the dragon fight was the dragon always talking in that first fight when you kill it yeah I think at so at the end yeah no, he's I like no, blah blah end. blah when I kill him he's like no I was like is the dragon talking with he the he calls you Dovahkiin yeah he calls you he always called you Dovahkiin I think yeah, okay. I, was like, I think I never noticed it when, before when you first heard it I was just like am I high like is the dragon actually talking <laughs> Well, the problem, I mean, one of the things about Skyrim is that, like, if 40 people are talking at once, like, if, yes. if uh, yeah. what's her name and the soldiers are all awesome. Yeah, I kept thinking it was a guard being like, yeah. he's bigger yeah. than I've ever seen or whatever, you know, the things that they say all the time. Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. no, the dragons talk in this game. It's, they it's do. very silly. It's, it is. It's, just, it's all part of it. There's a lot of just fun dialogue. I mean, obviously, I mean... Like I said, this was one of the first games really to go viral on social media, and Arrow to the Knee became. Oh boy, the, I knew the you were going to say that. Everyone, <laughs> but but I was actually going to say no, no, no. I was just bringing that up in the context of like this is a hilarious game in so many ways. Mm-hmm. One of which and like made, how I mean, hilarious I that line moment. is, as we all agree, yeah, it's, and it's, it's still funny fantastic. now, and we, we all say always, it every day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I had a moment that was hilarious where, like, I, I just wa- happened to walk by this bandit camp and, like, this bandit comes up to me and it's like, oh, you're going to regret coming by here or something like that. Or, like, you you came to the wrong place. And I just turned around and, like, immediately zapped him. And it's just so <laughs> unintentionally hilarious. Yeah. I had a moment where I, like, walked up to a woman who I guess was, like, fighting something that I didn't see. And she was, like, already annoyed at me for not helping her. <laughs> like, I didn't even see what she was doing. And she was like, yeah, thanks a lot, wanderer or whatever and I was like I don't even know who you are like what is happening and there that also lends a certain realism like the humor of that is like oh all these NPCs are walking around with their own lives and like I can either intervene or not yeah they think about you it's fun yeah well to your point to your point earlier Maddie this is such a perfect dinner table game like I've had so many conversations about like everyone just sharing their Skyrim stories and that that to me is really what what has made it last so long and reach however many 30 million players or whatever who are still playing it now now. i still meet people who are like skyrim's the only game i play like i just only play there was someone on my steam friend list who was just playing it? I mean, I guess maybe because of the anniversary, but there was someone playing it last night. I was like, I'm going to play some Skyrim. Whoa, there's somebody playing it right now that I know. <laughs> yeah, well, they're releasing a new version. Yeah, on, yeah. On Thursday. So today, as this comes out, will, mm-hmm. will be the anniversary edition version. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's a really interesting sort of frisson between the intentional humor and the unintentional humor playing it. I'm struck by like so many of the line deliveries. I mean, they sound like Hans and Franz. Yeah. Which is, I know, I know maybe a dated reference that our younger listeners won't get, but it's like, it sounds like someone doing a joke, Arnold Schwarzenegger character when every they, single one and they all sound identical. And they all sound identical. And it's so funny. And like, I don't know if that was meant to be funny. There's a part where the guy gets, he gets really mad at the other guy. He's like, you're only talking about like our most deeply held beliefs. And like, it's just the way he's, I was like, what? Like, like, who gave that line read and was it meant to be this funny? Or even the Fusro Da, this dragon ability that you get that is just, like, ludicrously funny at every turn because it sends people flying. Like, they didn't give you, like, a fireball or whatever. They gave you a thing that sends physics objects flying through the air. And you're always accidentally hitting the button when you're, like, in a store or whatever and then, like, blowing the whole place up. And it's like, it's like they wanted you to be having these unintended, ridiculous, you know, shenanigans, even though I, I can never quite tell. And I actually find that very beguiling. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And Fusrada is in and of itself a really silly thing to say. And yeah. yet I also remember like going to conventions at the time and people would just shout it along with oh, the yeah, cake man. is a lie and like 
why 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 did we allow for that as a society i don't know but it was just that well, i mean was why do we allow for gamers in general <laughs> gamers were the first mistake. I, let's put an end to it you know happy yeah. happy birthday skyrim it's all over for you uh mm-hmm. this is it kirk kirk gamers really were the first mistake in fact in the garden of eden adam and eve <laughs> encountered a gamer and uh god kicked them out because they banned they gave them. the gamer god a video game them. yeah that so. was the first that was the first ban yeah the ban hammer yeah god took out <laughs> yes, the ban hammer god, God breath the Van Hammer, the holy Van Hammer, as it is referred to in the text. Can we talk? I know we're running out of time, but we have to talk about Skyrim's legacy because Skyrim went on to just inspire every single game mm-hmm. of the last decade. Like yep. as suddenly after Skyrim, every single game was an open world. And that yes. persists to this day. Like the open world phenomenon started in Skyrim. Um, before that, there were games. There were certainly games where like you could go, you could explore a big map and stuff, but but it I wasn't mean, Grand Theft Auto, Assassin's Creed. You can't trace it all to Skyrim. But yes, okay, it did. Sure. It further cemented the popularity of that style of game. Skyrim was what made everything an open world in in more of well, okay, fine. I mean, yes, there were a lot of GTA clones. There were a lot of games where like you could go in any direction. But Skyrim was really the game that made every single genre of game go open world because it showed that you couldn't, you didn't just have to be this like crime simulator GTA style of game um, to do that sort of thing. I don't know. I, I, maybe it's, it's me just correlating um, instead of causating here, but it felt like everyone, like Skyrim with guns was a whole pitch. And yeah. like every, everybody was just trying, especially RPGs. Uh, yeah. RPGs suddenly had to be open world. Yeah. I feel like Breath of the Wild is the obvious example here, but I also think that the modern day Assassin's Creed games, like it's not as though Assassin's Creed didn't have some simulation aspects and mm-hmm. some role playing game aspects. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the to do list of it all and like finding quests that you feel as though maybe not everyone discovered. Like that feels very Skyrim y. Which is a compliment. I mean, that's that's what's fun and also deeply overwhelming to me every time I play one of those mm-hmm. and also is a feeling that has returned to me as I've been playing Skyrim and being like, oh, my God, it's so big. There's so much to do. I'm so stressed out. I need <laughs> yeah. to stop. I kind of like I guess I see Skyrim as as on one of two open world um, sort of tracks and I think of Assassin's Creed as generally on the other one, which is it's kind of the Grand Theft Auto and the Bethesda Game Studios tracks where the Grand Theft Auto one is where it's it's much more organized. There's kind of a world where there are quest givers, they're on the map, you know, the way Grand Theft Auto looks. And the big leap that Assassin's Creed made to Assassin's Creed 2 was like very much becoming a Grand Theft Auto game. And then the series sort of started going in a more open-ended direction where you could maybe explore and find things. But even then, they put everything on the map and it's really kind of meant to just be a world that you move around in, going from point to point on a preset map, where the Bethesda game thing has always been sort of, well, who knows what's over there? Like, who knows what's Mm. down there? Like, this is all very mysterious. And it's also, to come back to the simulation thing, it's way more simulated. And so there's just a feeling that this game is just kind of running along on its own, because it is. And then as you explore it, there's way more of that kind of, what's over here, what's over there? And I mean, Bethesda's other games, like Fallout, the Fallout series, like and especially New Vegas, they scratch that itch for me in a way that Assassin's Creed doesn't. And then what was remarkable to me about Breath of the Wild was that it really did feel like Skyrim in that way, specifically. It was like this big simulation and there's all this physics and like everything is kind of running on all these little systems. And then you just walk around and it's like, well, what's that over there? I don't know. Let's go find out. And then you find a whole crazy hidden like snow challenge in the mountains that no one Mm -hmm. maybe would have found if they hadn't gone over there. Although the one thing Skyrim does over Breath of the Wild, I think, is rewarding you with cool stuff. Like mm. Breath of the Wild, that's the one thing Breath of the Wild lacks is like getting cool gear. Um, you can get some weapons that that break after a little while and some of them are cool and stuff. But like you're rarely getting like some sweet piece of magical armor that breaks the game because like we said before, like Maddie, you were pointing out Breath of the Wild is like so polished and designed that it can't allow for like game breaking stuff or like other mm-hmm. like a, a wand that has. Ma- like random magical powers like the way that Skyrim has. That is yeah. true. You break the game in, in Breath of the Wild in kind of different ways, right? Like in you figure out a ways, weird way yeah. to manipulate something, mm-hmm. but it isn't like, and it, which I find so appealing. Like in, in Skyrim, like yeah. crafting bananas armor, just spending hours leveling up to be able to craft. Like I actually find that very engrossing. It's just a different kind mm-hmm. of gameplay, but I do like that it allows that. Something I really would love to see from the Elder Scrolls 6 when in the 40 years that sure. it actually comes out is more inspiration from, is it 
inspiration from Divinity Original Sin 2 and like more stuff that lets you break the simulation in cool ways. I think that's the kind of next iteration for this type of game. Man, I think uh, all games should take more inspiration from Divinity Original Sin 2. That's, that's true. Me. All right. Well, Skyrim, <laughs> happy birthday to you. Uh, you did it. You turned 10. Happy birthday. You're the biggest game ever, maybe, or one of them. Um, and I had a really good time playing it. I like really was playing earlier today. I was like, I kind of want to keep yeah. playing Skyrim. This is. Yeah, I might, I might still play it. I might, I might keep, keep playing, playing it. it. Collecting some <laughs> I have so many other things I have to play, but I was like, this is still a good game. So that's remarkable on its own. You're just clicking on an herb and then it goes in your pocket and then you click on like 60 more herbs. It's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Yeah, gotta get those herbs. Gotta get those herbs. (laughs) All right, let's take a break and then we'll be back for one more thing. Hi, it's me, Dave Hill from before. Here to tell you about my brand new show on Maximum Fun, the Dave Hill Good Time Hour, which combines my old Maximum Fun show, Dave Hill's podcasting incident, with my old radio show, The Damn Dave Hill Show, into one new futuristic program from the future. If you like delightful conversation with incredible guests, technical difficulties, and actual phone calls from real-life listeners, you've just hit a street called easy. I'm also joined by my incredible co-host, the boy criminal Chris Gersbeck. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Dave. It's really great. That's enough, Chris. And New Jersey chicken rancher, Des. Say hi, Des. Hey, Dave. The Dave Hill Good Time Hour. Brand new episodes every Friday on Maximum Fun. Plus, the show's not even an hour. It's 90 minutes. Take that, stupid rules. We nailed it. Mr. Robot Man, what are you doing? I'm just taking one last look at my co-workers. Every journey comes to an end. Remember, Black, the space will be with you, always. Sorry, who are you again? Master Kieran. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Sorry. Just calling in. <laughs> Friendships will be tested. Doll, you have to do it. You have to shoot Black. Okay. You shot him so fast. Destinies will be fulfilled. I've become a complete bird. I'm flying. I'm flying. On April 28th, the saga starts concluding. Guys, we don't have a choice. We have to put on a show. We can do it in the old barn. We've got the costumes. We've got a stage. We can do it, you guys. Mission to Zix, the final season on Maximum Fun. And we're back for one more thing. Jason Schreier, what's your one more thing? Um, do you guys, are you guys Breaking Bad fans? Are both of you into Breaking Bad? Yes. Are you Breaking Bad? Well, I watched no. the show. Kirk, you, where Maddie, you were not. I'm mixed on the show. I mean, I think it was very, very good when it was good. And then it also had some low points, but I liked it. And I like Better Call Saul. So there's a show called Your Honor on Showtime that I just finished watching. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, it's one season. They're coming out with another one at some point. Stars Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston, stop me if you've heard this one before, is a good guy who is forced to make really bad decisions. Really? And over the course of the series, just gets progressively more evil um, in different ways and subverts subverts justice to his own means. Mm-hmm. Um, the premise of the show, Your Honor, it came out last year, I believe, is when it started. It, it was during the pandemic, and they have a couple of corona coronavirus references in it um the premise is uh brian cranston plays a judge whose son uh hits and kills a guy um and then runs away from it like, like in a moment, has like a moment punches of panic him? and then gets yeah like away. with a car oh, sorry. Or... with his car with his car he hits, <laughs> it's hits, way funnier it's like a hit and run hits him really just, hard like, with his punches hand. him so hard <laughs> He him. drives into this bike, kills a guy, runs away. Okay. And he cool. gets home and Brian Cranston's character is like, you got to turn yourself in um, until they realize that the person who was killed is the son of this infamous mob boss um, in New Orleans. And Brian Cranston's character realizes that if he turns him, if the kid turns himself in, he's going to be killed by this mob boss. This sounds like a TV show premise to me, Jason. <laughs> it sure is a TV show premise. So for the next 10 episodes, for the, the whole series, essentially, um, Brian Cranston's uh, uh, sudden new job is to use his position as a judge to make sure that his son is protected and like uh he does some pretty effed up s to uh to make that happen <laughs> thank so, you for not swearing that's that's <laughs> yeah well we're a family-friendly show over here so essentially it is it is like 
Breaking Bad 2.0. It's like a new, except it's not as good as Breaking Bad. So I will say that like people are getting really excited being like, oh my God, more Breaking Bad. It is not nearly as good mm-hmm. as um, the creation of Vince Villigan and crew. And you should go watch Better Call Saul if you want something that's really more Breaking Bad. But the show was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, I wouldn't say it was great television or anything, but having just watched through all of it, um, it's just great to see Brian Cranston on screen. Like that's really the reason mm-hmm. to watch is just seeing him doing more of his just insanely good acting and and good plumbing the depths of depravity mm-hmm. in the way that he does yeah, he's good at being stressed out he plays stressed <laughs> out very well yeah he's good at everything i mean having watched sure. malcolm in the middle uh he's good at like <laughs> well, he's pretty stressed he, out he's on got that such he is, yeah different That's more yeah. of a comedy he's good at there, both but... drama yes. and comedy stressed out he can play stressed out in both directions he has all the frequencies yeah. of stressed out really dumb. he's yeah. got the entire entire spectrum of stress um, so yeah, your honor, Showtime. Um, worth checking out if you got nothing else to watch. But like, don't <laughs> drop everything and watch it or anything. Nice. Yeah, drop everything and watch Billions, but not not this show. Whatever. <laughs> That's, oh yeah, I finished Billions. Honey. I don't know if I. <laughs> I told can't you. believe yeah. you didn't put that on Very the good. list. But it's fine. Mm. We'll talk about it some other time. Yeah, next <laughs> week. Day. Next week. Um, <laughs> Maddie, what's your one more thing? Mine is also something that I watched. It is the 1984 Eddie Murphy Triumph. Beverly Hills Cop, which I had never (laughs) seen before this weekend. Oh, man. What what made you decide to watch this? Okay, so uh, people have probably noticed that when I'm playing too many games that we're already talking about on the show, I will pick a movie. It's because Dean and I usually watch at least one movie every single week. And mm. that means we watch a lot of different stuff because we always have to have a movie a week. And I just keep keep my lists updated on my streaming services. And this one's on HBO Max if people want to watch Beverly Hills Cop, which I recommend. And it was on my list. And she was like, why is Beverly Hills Cop on here? I saw this movie a lot as a teenager. I don't know why this is here. And I was like, oh, I've never seen it. And she was like pressing play instantly because it's the greatest <laughs> movie ever. And this movie... Okay, I I have been very upfront about the fact that I don't care for cops on this show as an institution, not as individuals, but as an institution. Beverly Hills Cop is a cop movie. It is presenting cops as heroic, so that's tough for me. However, it is also a hilarious fish-out-of-water story in which Eddie Murphy plays a Detroit cop who is trying to solve a murder in Beverly Hills where cops are not only racist, but by the book and ridiculously ludicrously square and... Every white person in this movie is made a buffoon of by Eddie Murphy in so many charming and wonderful ways that you just can't not enjoy it. And it is an intensely political movie. It's unafraid to be. It talks about racism in the police force openly. That is the central problem which Eddie Murphy faces at every turn. It is both hilarious and poignant. And I love Axel F the song and everyone who (laughs) has ever seen this movie before should watch it again. And also if you have never seen it, you should watch it because I laughed out loud and enjoyed myself (laughs) a lot. It's great. Also one of the best theme songs. Yes. Axel F. Amazing song. Amazing song. Harold Faltermeyer, the great. Oh, that's the name of it. Great synth theme. It's so good. Yeah. That movie, so I, when I was a kid, I watched Beverly Hills Cop 2 a lot. And we Mm -hmm. were talking before the show and I could talk forever about Beverly Hills Cop and Eddie Murphy. This was, it's such an interesting period in Eddie Murphy's career because it's right when he was blowing up. Yes. This is his first solo movie. Like he was in 48 Hours, which was like a double, two-hander. Well, not a two-hander, but you know what I mean. Yeah, Two-person starring role. And Beverly Hills Cop was like. This was before Coming to America? Yeah, I think so. And then this was like the movie that made him a film star. Not to say he wasn't already a a comic star, but like Beverly Hills Cop was like the beginning of years of Eddie Murphy being like the most bankable comedian ever in anything. And all of his stuff in this time period is like incredible. And I've seen a lot of it, just not this stuff. So, and it's funny. So I saw Beverly Hills cop two so many times, but I've never, I've only seen Beverly Hills cop one, like once or twice. They're very, very different movies. If you watch the sequel, I'll be curious what you think. Cause it's like way more of just this boilerplate action movie where mm-hmm. the first one has definitely got a lot more going on. Sort of like it was right after trading places, which is also like kind of this like class commentary movie. It was just an interesting time for him. I, this makes me want to rewatch Beverly Hills cop. <laughs> and I agree about the theme music. Like, you should. It's a joy. It's yeah. it's just a Eddie Murphy man in the eighties. He was he was unstoppable. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, my one more thing is um, a very specific thing about Death Stranding, which I'm still playing. I want to talk about the zip lines in this game because no one told me about the zip lines. And the zip line, this is just zip line simulator 2021 to me now. I am obsessed <laughs> with the zip lines in this game. And it's just got me thinking about this kind of thing, like how there will be one thing in a game that actually kind of maybe breaks the game that I become so fixated on and start doing over and over again, and it just becomes the whole game to me. And I don't think I'm alone in this. With with anyone listening to this who played Death Stranding, probably got as into zip lines as I did. So I'm just going to describe them really quick and explain how they work. So this game, Death Stranding, it's a PlayStation game. I'm playing the third version of it. It's now out on PS5. And you're this guy, Sam Porter Bridges, and you walk across long landscapes carrying lots and lots of packages to deliver them. And that's really the the bulk of the game. There's terrible combat and mediocre stealth, but that's kind of whatever. And ghosts. There's stealth against the ghosts. <laughs> you yeah. shoot your own blood into ghosts. You know, some mm-hmm. stuff happens. There's magical realism, but like it yeah. doesn't make sense and you don't have to worry about it. You're just an Amazon delivery <laughs> guy. Right. And yet it is an extremely um, engrossing game. I'm finding it just like really calming and fun to play, especially now that I've found the zip lines. So you unlock more abilities as you go. You get like robot legs that make you stronger. It gets easier and easier to carry stuff pretty quickly. But then about, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 hours into the game, they introduce the zipline system. What a zipline is, is you you build these things. You just get a sort of build anything kit that you can carry around with. You can carry a whole bunch of these. So you can build all these structures out in the world. And that's a big part of the game is like other people's structures appear in your world when you connect that region to the ghost internet. Uh, anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then those things appear. So you like can put stuff in your world that'll turn up in other people's games. And sometimes just people's stuff appears in your game and it makes your life a lot easier. And I never cared about building anything. For this whole first part of the game, I'm kind of in this whole big main area. Didn't care. Why would I build a bridge? Whatever. I'm just going to walk there. I'll just get a motorcycle and drive there. Now, though, the zip lines change everything. So you build this thing that looks kind of like a football. Um, what's it called, Jason? That you kick the the uprights. It looks like football uprights. The goalposts. The, yeah. the goalposts. So you build this thing, and it's these big goalposts. And you walk up to it, and you press a button, and it like bends down and picks you up. And then you're up like ten feet above the air, hanging on this like electrified wire, with all your baggage and everything you're carrying. You're just hanging in the air, and then you can just any other. Um, zip line that's in sight that you've built, you know, up to like 300 meters away, you just select that and you press a button and then it's just like, boom, and you just go flying through the air on this wire. Sam, the guy you're playing as, um, Norman Reedus, he'll just be like, woo! <laughs> he's flying through the air. And you just like fly through the air across this area that had previously been very onerous and difficult to walk across. And you can build these things. So you unlock these right at the same time as you reach the mountain zone, which is like really like mountains. And this Skyrim actually has really got me thinking about it because so much of Skyrim is like the game of kind of mantling up to a place you're not supposed to get, like just pressing forward and hitting jump at the like mm-hmm. rock until you finally find a purchase. Like that's this whole thing. And Death Stranding kind of makes a whole video game out of that. <laughs> and then you, sp- I spend so much time climbing up to the highest point and then building a zip line because you like look down and you can see all the zip lines you've built and your zip line network is like stretching across the mountains. And it honestly, starts to feel like lighting the torches of Gondor in the Lord of the Rings like <laughs> like I start to hear the, you know bum, 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 ba-na-na, ba-na-na, and I'm like yes like see my zipline network and I'm like you know zooming around and I'm just doing deliveries everywhere I found it so satisfying and I don't care about the story. I almost don't want to keep playing the game because I'm just going to get into the whatever. The next act and like there's murk everywhere and I'm not in the mountains anymore. I just want to like build zip lines and like connect every single delivery point with zip lines and then do all the deliveries. So that's what Death Stranding has become for me, but I'm finding it a very calming and a satisfying thing to do for a few hours every few days. So <laughs> zip lines. It sounds like someone should make just like a road trip across America, like delivery game with all the cool equipment and tools and stuff, but like with none of the other Kojima nonsense. <laughs> just like the version of it that's Soothcore, as, as Kirk said last yes. week about unpacking, like the version that's uh-huh. truly just delivering stuff. And there's not the ghosts. Uh-huh. There's not any of the stressful the parts. It's just deliveries. The story. Oops, all deliveries. That would be cool, though the overcoming of the stress is, like, this is very, feels like Subnautica to me, another game I played this year, where, like, I do really like games where it's a difficult 
challenging world where you then build infrastructure to the point where the world is like completely easy to move through. Like that is a very satisfying kind of game to me. And that's really what Death Stranding is. Ultimately, it's just also got like, you know, 10 minute cutscenes about the ghost internet and like, you know, Guillermo del Toro is walking around with like stitches across his head, like being weird and creepy and being voiced by some guy who isn't him. So it's 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 also got that. <laughs> you just kind of have to put up with that for the sweet zipline action. So anyways, Death mm. Stranding. It's a good game. Death Stranding. Death Stranding. One of a Death kind. Stranding. It is. That's like certainly it. true. All right. Well, this has been Triple Click. Thank you all for listening. And uh, yeah, happy birthday to Skyrim! I can't believe birthday. I'm gonna go like spend another forty hours playing <laughs> Skyrim, but I feel like I totally. Am. I'm at yeah. least gonna spend another hour or two. It's good. Uh, it's so I, good. I, what if I? It's what so what if I like Skyrim now? I don't know. It's never gonna happen. Yeah. What if you like it's been, Skyrim? It's now? been ten years. You're allowed to like things you, you <sighs> didn't. There's really nothing quite like just finding something in the corner of the map and being like, "Wow, this is a cool, cool mm-hmm. little story here." It's true. Mm-hmm. Well, I will see the two of you next week. See you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at maximumfun.org/join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at maximumfun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.